Hello and welcome back to a very special edition of Digs in Distance. The reason I say that is we're going to have a few people on today. Scott Fuller will be back on today. My brother-in-law, Andrew Bach, will be joining us over the phone. I'll also be calling my sister, Greta. And I also got my first question asked through a message. I'm also excited to announce, um, not with the call with Andrew, but later when I finish this podcast out, that I will also be Facebook-living it now during my podcast. That way, people... It's another way uh, to try to get people to ask questions, leave comments, etc. Um, so moving forward, I will also be Facebook-living at the same time. With that said, I am going to give my brother-in-law, Andrew, a call. And we're going to talk some football to start this off. Also, I want people to know if anybody would want to come on in the future... Because of the flexibility with different segments, I'm very adjustable as far as time goes to make it work. Um, So like today, I'm calling Andrew here in the middle of the afternoon, taking a little bit of an extra break uh, to call him. Um, But I just want people to know I'm flexible for my listeners um, or anybody that wants to come on. So with that said, though, I'm going to give Andrew a call. Hey, Andrew. Hey. How's it going? Uh, not too bad. Just got a little peanut in my hand here. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. So, uh, just so my listeners know when he refers to peanut, uh, him and my sister had their first kid here recently. Um, so if you hear a baby in the background, that's my nephew, Roman. So... Anyway, good to have you on. So I am assuming you had a chance to watch the Vikings game, maybe the Gopher game too, over the weekend? Uh, yes, I did, actually. I was fortunate enough to, yeah. Okay, you end up watching both, or just the Vikings? or Both, the Gophers and the Vikings. Okay. Well, let's start off with the Vikings. Uh... I guess, what are your thoughts on the game? Obviously, it was a really slow start. Um, Obviously, they came back to win, which was awesome. But what are some of your just general thoughts? Um, And then after you answer that, maybe I'll ask a few more questions in particular. Wow, you know, what a game. You know, it's really, really 
a tale of two hands, so to speak. And uh, depending on which side of uh, you know the competition you were on, whether you're a Broncos fan or Vikings, kind of uh, really depicts uh, how you felt about the game. You know, the first half, <clears throat> Broncos more uh, was dominated and uh, kind of had us on our heels, and it wasn't looking good. I t- I'll tell you that, and they they definitely. Yeah, um, it was cool to see. Was that, you know, I wasn't necessarily, quote-unquote, assuming they'd win by any means because they had a lot to do in the second half. Although I was one of the people who, at halftime, even though uh, Ann and I went to a movie because we had plans, it wasn't because I was giving up on the game. We just already had plans. Um... And we had a babysitter lined up. But anyway, even when I went to the movie, I told people, you know, there's still a whole second half. You know, I'm uh, I'm not giving up on it yet. So I even told a few people that. And then obviously after the movie, I came back and watched it. Um, but yeah, it was uh, pretty cool to see. Um, and on that, uh, I'll move into a little bit. Um, and actually this also leads into the first question I've gotten through a message. So I'll say what was asked and then, uh, we can both talk about it a little bit. So, uh, this question, uh, was from Ali Stewart, who is one of the listeners from Albert Lee. Um, she unfortunately didn't get a chance to watch this game, so she's, uh, anxious to listen to it sometime and hear what our comments were. Uh, But anyway, her question was what I thought of the coaching. Uh, That was the question, which I thought was quite the first question. So on that, I'll say a few things, and then if you want to expand on anything, obviously you can. So, and I said this Sunday too, and I even said it a little bit Monday with my dad at work that... As much as I like Zimmer and everything he's done, you know, because he's really built a strong defense. There's really nobody can argue what he's built in the defense the last few years. But what I have said and will continue to say, as much as I like Zimmer and I'm glad he's here and I hope he's still here a while, the one knack personally that I have on him anyway, and we saw it again Sunday in my opinion, is we have one of the slowest coaching staffs in all of football as far as making adjustments. I say that because it seems like, you know, whatever they do at halftime, they come out totally different. We saw that in the Packer game. You know, unfortunately, that one, we didn't do quite enough to pull it out with that terrible interception in the end zone. But, you know, again, it was a tale of two halves. Even the Chicago game, to a degree, But I've seen this before, and I saw it again Sunday. For whatever reason, it seems like it always takes until halftime. And granted, I know you have a little bit more time at half with a break to make those adjustments. But it just seems like they are a lot slower than certain coaches as far as adjusting during the game. And obviously, Belichick's one of the best at adjusting on the fly, but, you know, he's been very successful. So 
that's the only knack, really, I have on Zimmer. And again, like I said, we saw it again Sunday where obviously this time it worked and we were able to come back and win against a team like Denver. But you're not going to be able to get down 20 L on very many teams and come back and win. And that's proven, too, with the fact that the last five years before we did it, teams were 0-99 when trailing by at least 20 a half. You know, so it's not very likely that you're going to pull it off. Thankfully, it worked. You know, we go into the bye, 8-3. and three. Um, Obviously, got some stuff to work on. But I guess that's just my take on the coaching is I like the staff we have, especially with Kubiak and helping out the offense. But to me, anyway, that's one of the downfalls of the staff is it seems like they take forever to adjust as far as during the game with the exception of halftime. So I don't know if you have anything to say on that or what your thoughts are. But Well, yeah, I mean, I, I could uh, definitely expound on that um, as well as take it a few, few other directions. Um, you know, to, to the point you spoke to, um, I think traditionally that that's kind of how people viewed, you know, the game was that, yeah, you, you came in with a game plan, you executed the first half, and then at halftime was where, you know, you made the adjustments and came out. And I think I think nowadays it, it's gotten, you know, to the point where you you don't have to wait until halftime, nor, nor should you really, uh, as you're speaking to, to be able to make some of those adjustments now. I think some teams and some staffs have a better match for that as far as being able to identify it in-game because, you know, a lot of us, we're watching from, you know, the comfort of the couch or homes or whatever. Maybe you're fortunate enough to be able to attend the game live. And, I mean, things, there's a lot going on. I mean, these, uh, really, these are, you know, their games, their entertainment. There's there's a lot to process, a lot of information, a lot of things going on, and I think for some, it really takes that you know, however many minute break at halftime uh, that they get with you know commercials and whatever that um, to really have that quiet time and have everybody unified and be able to communicate clearly and effectively, um, which I think you see with some teams and and specifically last week where. Where some, you know, they're they're better at okay from from play to play, from drive to drive, they're tweaking or or they're seeing something become you know prominent as far as a trend, you know, that they can exploit. And so, yeah, I, I would say that's definitely something you know we, we probably need to work on as a team or a unit. Um, so that's that's what I'll say to that point. But you know, I, I do I do wish I could have been a fly uh, on the wall in the locker room at halftime to know yeah, what was Zimmer's message or the coach's message um, to be able to get those guys to come out and play the way they did the second half, kind of with a, an edge, you know, or a chip on the shoulder versus kind of giving up and saying, you know what, we're already down 20. Right. <laughs> well, they, they know the odds, and uh, it's usually not very likely, but, man, the way they came out, it was, it was like they were a different team. And t- so to that point, I, I give uh, Zimmer and the coaching staff a lot of credit to say whatever message they gave, whatever approach they took, uh, clearly was effective. Oh, yeah, I agree completely. I mean, same thing with the Packer game. You know, that game, the difference is we couldn't quite pull it out, even though we had our chances. But 
you know, that game was the same way in the sense that they were a totally different team in the second half. So, you know, I give Zimmer a lot of credit, too. And like I said, I like him as a coach. That's just my take on that in particular. And sometimes they're a little bit too slow as far as mid-game adjustments. But obviously, whatever he says at halftime, you know, has worked more than once. Uh, this time, at least, it led to victory. But, I mean, it's definitely showed off more than once that they've become a different team, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I think, uh, for me, one one thing I would uh, comment on or speak to, um, is, as far as the, the offensive play, uh, and maybe this was because I was, you know, spoiled and I, I have, uh, you know, different different memories because of my perception, you know, as a, as a young kid, you know, in the 98 season with the Vikings, and it, it seemed like, Every play was an exciting play, you know, a bomb to Moss or Chris Carter making a sideline catch or, you know, Jake Reed getting in on the action. And, right. Um, but, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, we go in with our bread and butter. Okay, we know we want to run the ball. We want to keep it balanced. We want to, you know, get the yards to avoid third and longs. But I, I think uh, for me, uh, what I see we tend to be successful is when we start, you know, we start taking some shots down field and getting a little creative and letting some of our playmakers, you know, um, make moves in the open field. And so I, I think that was definitely part of that second half comeback as well because it looked like Cousins just, you know, he was able to kind of let it rip and we took some shots uh, deeper down the field and, you know, they paid off. Right. And, uh, yeah, and actually, as the season's gone on more and more, you know, because when we started 2-2, two and two, that was part of it. It was pretty clear how stubborn Zimmer was about running. But really, in a couple other games, as we've gone later in the year, at least in certain games, they've shown more of a willingness to at least balance it out somewhat and then also take a few more chances. Um, like the game where Diggs had three touchdowns, for instance. You know, so they have have shown in a few games anyway there that um, maybe, you know, they'll be a little more willing to pass to set up the run compared to vice versa. Um, and I know, obviously, regardless, they want to get their fair amount of running in, which I don't blame them for considering the year Cook is having. Um you know, because he's having ma- a massive year. But so when they have opened it up a little more, like in the second half and, you know, the Giants game and, you know, where they take some more shots, you know, I think that sets up the run. And in my opinion, after I've seen it a couple times, I'm fine with them running a lot, but I think they should actually, you know, when they yeah. pass some on first down, they like they've done more lately or certain weeks and when they do stuff to open it up a little bit I think it sets up the run game so I actually like that idea at least against special uh, certain teams where you pass to set up the run rather than you run to set up the pass yeah yeah and I think what's hard uh, uh, you know in today's game um, you know I mean really yeah they're athletes but they're also you know student athletes in the sense that, you know, they spend a lot of time in the film room and the sessions and the, the you know, tendencies, uh, not only of teams, but of specific players. And 
I mean, as far as data that's out there now, I mean, it's incredible the preparation that you know players and individuals and teams can have going into a game. And so I think what's hard, it becomes challenging, is how do you how do you come in with your bread and butter, you know, what you know you're good at, what you like to do, what you want to be able to do, whether you know they know you're going to do it or not, and still be able to execute. How do you balance that uh, without becoming too predictable? You know, and still being able to be creative and to keep them just enough balance enough to be effective. Right. You know, we've seen we've seen both sides to a degree. You know, Di Filippo getting let go was obviously because he was passing all the time and hardly ever running. You know, now, uh, you know, they're a lot better than they used to be about having some balance at least. Um, but, you know, now at times they show obviously they're focused on running, which is, but like I said, when they mix it up some and take some shots, I think is when they're their strongest. But at least now we're a lot closer to balance than when we were throwing it 50 times a game with Di Filippo, you know, at least we have some balance now. And the fact that, you know, whether he'll win it or not, because as good as he's playing, I doubt he'll win it. But the fact that some experts are actually saying now that it's a three-player race for the MVP, and that's Lamar Jackson, um, Kirk Cousins, and... um, Shoot, I forget who the third one is now right off the top of my head. But anyway, they're saying three quarterbacks, and uh, they're actually mentioning Cousins in there. So the fact that some actual NFL experts are even putting him in that class with the year he's having, I mean, it's good to see that Cousins has come out as strong as he has after some people, you know, knacking him for you know, first it was he's never proven he can win a big game. So then he goes to Dallas and wins in prime time. You know, showed something there. Then we get down 20 against Denver, who granted doesn't have a very good record, but he proves he can lead them back, you know, and have a great second half. So he's definitely starting to prove different things that people knacked him for and you know, you can't argue with the year he's having for sure because uh, he's right up there towards the top in different categories as far as QB rating. And um, he's only thrown three picks this year, which is only one more than Rodgers at this point. So, you know, and he's thrown a couple more touchdowns than Rodgers. So he's definitely having a good year himself. Well, and I think he's one of those guys that um, is, is a little bit more under the radar, except for, yeah, when he's being, you know, criticized. Because, um, you know, he, he doesn't have the same kind of flash or moxie that, uh, you know, some of those other quarterbacks, that, you know, Lamar Jackson, for example. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, his numbers definitely support, uh, you know, an MVP, you know, consideration. But, um, I, I think he does it in kind of a quiet way that is just, uh, you know, one of those things he's had to work for uh, throughout his career. He's always 
seems at least, uh, you know, face some adversity to, to some degree wherever he's been or, you know, the situations he's found himself. And, you know, I, I got to say there, there's something to, you know, to, to be respected there as far as somebody that can kind of stick with it and be consistent over time, you know, despite some of those challenges and, and not always, uh, not always being the highlight reel, so to speak, but, uh, to kind of show up, do your job day in, day out, and, and you know, be able to have the success that he's had. I think, yeah, if, if, if uh, it's not intentionally highlighted or emphasized, I think it can, you know, go unnoticed pretty easily. Right. And Russell Wilson, by the way, I just remembered that. That's the other guy who was being mentioned, because him and Lamar Jackson and Kirk Cousins are... All three of them, obviously, are having really good years, so... Um, yeah, he's not bad either. What's that? I said, yeah, Russell Wilson, he's, he's, not, he's not a bad quarterback either. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. And honestly, one thing I think that could hurt Cousins, as far as MVP voting goes, you know, even if he keeps this up, which at this point, he's done it long enough this year, I think he can, but... The fact that Delvin Cook is having the year he is, granted, we just agreed Cousins is having a good year too, but I think having a running game as strong as they do, that could take away some votes potentially because honestly, Cook also deserves to be in the running. He won't win it either, and the reason I say that is because we've seen it that they pretty much never give it to anybody except the quarterback anymore. That's just how it goes. So a running back might get a few votes here and there, but it pretty much always pretty much always goes to a quarterback these days. One of these days, I'd like to see a, a lineman or somebody get it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that that would be something. Or, you know, even a defensive player, because at least there they've had a couple, but it's been a long time since a defensive player has won it, so. So there's been, just going back to what I said a minute ago, just because. So that, by the way, since the NFL started, there's been two defensive players that have won the MVP. That's it. The whole time they've had the award. And that was Alan Page for the Purple People Eaters back in 71. And then Lawrence Taylor as a linebacker in 86. But those are the only two teams who have... Or, sorry, two defensive players who've won MVP. So, again, it's pretty much always an offensive player and almost always a quarterback. And then there's been one special teams player. Back in in 82, there was a place kicker who won the MVP in 1982. So. Yeah, and uh, that's, uh, <laughs> like you said, I guess uh, uh, there definitely seems to be a trend, and, you know, it's, uh, I guess, flash sale 
Yep. Yep, absolutely. When you have guys like, and I mean, I get it because the quarterback obviously is important. And with how many good QBs we have, you know, I get why they win it so much. But on certain teams, too, you know, especially if a running back has a massive year, you know, I think one of these days a running back or a receiver should win it again, you know, rather than a quarterback year after year. But. And I'd love to see a defensive player win it again eventually, too. You know, knowing that there's only been two, but... Right. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that's hard to, you know, really substantiate because each position is so different or unique in its own right that, um, you know, that and if I dare dare say that um, I think for a lot of people, um, especially if they don't have real intimate knowledge you know, of the game and players or stats or season, I think the average person at least knows you know, who the quarterback of the team is. And yeah, I mean, they do have an important role. That's why, that's why they're often you know, the, the captain as well. And uh, so they, they kind of shoulder, at least publicly, a lot of the success or failures of the team and the offense. And so I think it's in some ways it's become a, a natural position for people to vote for to, uh, you know, always, always consider when you're right. I think uh, in any given year or decade or era, um, I think there's definitely um, other players in their respective positions that um, I think would be worthy of an MVP status, but probably, probably wouldn't see it very often. Right. So, um, before I let you go here, you have any, uh, um, Thing you want to say about the Gopher game at all, briefly, or the Gopher Iowa game? <laughs> well, I guess I'll uh, put it this way: I, I think we're still rolling the boat for sure. Um, even though, even though we maybe got turned around in the, in the river there a little bit, I think uh, you know, I, it, as hard as it is to stomach, I think I think it's. Uh, Understandable, and for some, not a complete surprise. You know, I was, I was got a good football team. You know, it's the, the border battle, if you will, uh, as far as college football. And you know, the, the, these two teams, they, they have enough motivation to play each other the way it is, and um, not to excuse them, but to maybe understand. You know, the Gophers came off a big win against Penn State. I think that took a lot of lot of time, energy, and preparation, and then to be able to come off of that high, so to speak, and then to go on the road into a very challenging environment. Right. Um, I, I think, yeah, I, I think they were, they just maybe didn't have enough in the gas tank to be able to play a motivated team um, that ended up getting the better of them. Yeah, and... The fact, you know, again, it doesn't excuse it. You know, obviously I was hoping they'd come out and get another big-time win and prove, you know, again on the road, um, you know, they're legit. But we also hadn't won in Iowa in 20 years. So just like we hadn't won in Wisconsin, in Wisconsin in forever until last year, you know, it's a very tough place to play. Um, and you know, they haven't won there in 20 years. So, 
Uh, there's a reason for that, but. Um, and and I, I, I heard an interesting point too that I, I think merits, you know, some thought or consideration that, you know, nowadays, um, especially in all, all the activist group and special interest groups and, um, you know, we love personal stories and struggles that I, I think are, I think are kids and you know, athletes or, you know, adolescents or whatever. I think by and large they've, they've been prepared pretty well to face adversity, but, um, I, I think, I think to be able to handle success, um, I think that's an area that maybe, maybe isn't emphasized, um, or doesn't come up as often. And so, um, you know, we all love an underdog story, but when you go from kind of being the underdog to, you know, the, the one being challenged, I, I think it's, it's hard to kind of know how to respond or, you know, that, um, that unspoken expectation uh, that one can place on themselves or, or on their shoulders. I, I think that has to play a kind of a mental and psychological um, aspect to the game as well. Yep, absolutely. Yep. So, like you said, though, I obviously still think we're going to boat with everything considered. Also, it was good to see after the Penn State win that, despite the loss, the um, coaches' poll gave us a little more respect than that first one that came out. Um, you know, they kept us in the top ten. Uh, we only felt a couple of spots, so... Um, as far as the official playoff uh, poll goes. So, uh, you know, they'll get another chance another to win on the road Saturday in Northwestern. Um, another nationally televised game. So um, it'll be good to see what they do in that game. You know, a team obviously they should beat. With that said, I've got a lot of respect for Fitz, the coach at uh, – Northwestern and what he's done. Because um, even when they don't have the best team, they always seem like they put up a fight. So, uh, you know, I don't expect it to be easy per se. Does that mean we couldn't win by double digits? No, it just means we'll have to work hard for it. Because uh, Northwestern always comes fighting, it seems like, especially against the Gophers. So, uh, what we need to avoid for sure is looking past their record because that's the last thing any team should do. So. Yeah, that's exactly right. When you start overlooking people, is when you get in trouble. But it'll be, like I said, it's another nationally televised game on ABC on Saturday. So uh, they'll have another chance in front of a national audience to see what they can do. So. Yeah, that's right. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, same here. So, well, I think that's all I had for today. Thanks again for um, coming on. I know because of the day and just making it work with different people, um, the podcast won't be completely finished until later. But when it is, I'll send you the link to this one in particular, and you can listen to it whenever you get a chance. So. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, yep, that was good one. You too. Bye. Okay, so anchor. All right, welcome back to segment number two of Digs and Distance for today. 
Um, as you can see, a new addition. I am going to start doing Facebook Live now during my podcast uh, to try to allow for more questions, comments, um, anybody that wants to chime in. Uh, any minute now, I do expect Scott Fuller to call in and be back on the air. Um, earlier, uh, I recorded segment one earlier today with my brother-in-law, Andrew. Um, and then we're going to have a couple more people on today. So uh, we'll have a fair amount of people on today's show. And um, what, as always, we'll do during the digs and distance one, we'll do our football picks for the week. Um, but anyway, I expect it to be a fun show uh, with the amount of people we're going to have on. Uh, like I said, uh, if anybody has any questions or comments about uh, the Vikings game or the Gophers game in particular, I'll be happy to answer them. Although I also do take up, uh, I also do welcome any other uh, comments or questions football related uh, if anybody has any. Um, like I said, it's specifically Vikings Gophers. Uh, that's what I cover the most, but if anybody has any questions at all about the league in general or anything else, uh, feel free to ask. Um, so anyway, while I wait for Scott to call in, um, I'll talk a little bit more about the Vikings' epic comeback against the Broncos. Uh, going from 20-0 down at halftime, uh, which, by the way, Teams that had done that the last five years were 0-99 when trailing by at least 20 a half. Uh, so they became the first team uh, to come back successfully and win a game the last five years when trailing by at least 20 a half. So that was pretty remarkable. Uh, once again, thankfully this time it paid off where they were able to win the game. But as we've seen at in other games this year was the tale of two halves. Um, and anybody that listens to this later on or later on listens to the first segment, um, as I talked a little bit about with Andrew, um, as much as I like Zimmer and I respect everything he's done with this defense, uh, the one thing uh, that I have a knack on him a little bit um, as much as I like Zimmer, again, thankfully this time, you know, it paid off whatever he said a half. But to me, the staff we have is still one of the slowest in the league as far as making mid-game adjustments. At halftime, they've proven they can make adjustments no problem. The problem is when they wait till halftime, you know, when you're down 20 it should be happening before then. You know, same thing happened in Green Bay. That one, though, the difference is they weren't able to come back and win it. They made a game of it and could have won if it wasn't for that terrible interception in the end zone. But my point is some coaches are better than others about adjusting on the fly. And as much as I don't like the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, of course, that's one thing he does very well, in my opinion, is he adjusts on the fly. He doesn't always wait until halftime. So again, I love Zimmer and I like what we're doing uh, as a team. You know, eight and three, can't complain with that. Obviously, some would say we're lucky to come away eight and three after getting it down by 20. But 
you know, we're still a very good team. We have the roster to make a deep playoff run. You know, obviously they have to play a little more consistently and not get down big early. Um, but we definitely have the roster to go a long ways uh, if we put it together consistently. Um, Kirk Cousins, of course, is as hot as pretty much any quarterback in the league right now. And I've liked Cousins since day one. I know some don't share that same opinion. But right now, whether you like him or don't like him or whether you like the signing originally or didn't like the signing originally, it's hard to argue with what he's doing right now production-wise. You know, he has only has three interceptions, has one of the best quarterback ratings in the league, if not the best. You know, and he's in the same ballpark as Aaron Rodgers right now for stats, and in some categories even a little bit better. So it's hard to argue what the year he's having. Obviously, Delvin Cook is also having a fantastic year. Uh, which helps Cousins out a lot, helps with the play action, all that. But the offense is clicking. Um, it sucks it took till halftime, but I'm glad they were able to find a way to win the game this time around. And we go into the bye we, with the 8-3 and three record. We have a couple weeks to prepare for Seattle, which obviously will have to come back a lot stronger in the Seattle game to have a chance, especially in Seattle. Um, but the point is they're eight and three. They're right in the thick of things for the playoffs. Uh, the NFC is obviously very stacked and you have about three, eight win teams. And um, so anyway, it's going to be very stacked. Uh, the Packers, 49ers, Seahawks, you know, they'll obviously all be in the run for the top two seeds. Um, I'm not going to rule the Vikings out yet, obviously, from that debate either because they're only a game behind Green Bay. But uh, it looks like it's probably, at this point, going to be 49ers and either the Packers or Seattle. Um, although if you find a way to beat Seattle, then obviously you'll be right in the thick of things for a possible buy the first round as well. Um, so anyway... Uh, Again, they made great halftime adjustments. It would have been great to be part of whatever was said at halftime just to see what completely changed the team and what motivated them a lot more in the second half. Um, Kirk Cousins obviously came out extremely strong and threw three touchdowns, and Diggs was fired up on the sideline. and uh, It was just great to see them make a comeback like that with you know some of the um scrutiny cousins has got so to speak you know first it was he hasn't proven he can win a big game so then he goes and beats dallas in dallas in prime time then it's uh you know then it's always something else it seems like the people that don't like cousins always find something to rip him about um, so now, yeah, the Broncos don't have a great record, but now he just proved he can lead a team back who's down, even when they need to start throwing it more. And he's putting up amazing stats. I even saw a couple NFL experts that actually are saying that it's a three-person race for MVP right now, and that's Cousins, Russell Wilson, and Lamar Jackson. 
Um, so to even be considered in that, uh, with where Cousins has came from and what people have been saying about him in the past, to even be mentioned in that is pretty impressive. And it's fun to see us clicking. A lot of credit not only to um, our offensive coordinator, uh, Stefanski, of course, but also Gary Kubiak and bringing him in and the job that he's doing helping this offense as well. So uh, good to see that. Um, I'll touch on it just a little bit more. Um, also, um, I did have one question uh, before the show uh, earlier today asking what I thought of the coaching and that actually goes kind of hand in hand with what I've just been saying. I like Zimmer. I like our offensive staff a lot. I like the zone scheme we're running. But again, my biggest knack on Zimmer is sometimes it seems like he takes too long to adjust. That's my biggest thing on him. I wish they'd make adjustments before halftime and not wait until halftime. Hello, Scott. Hi, Elijah. Sorry for the, the delay here this evening. No problem. I've uh, been recording in the meantime, getting it started. So uh, you're okay. on live right now, but good to have you back on again. Um, I'm also Facebook living it now as another way to try to get uh, more questions. So I'm going to answer one question really quick, and then uh, we'll start talking a little bit. All right. So, yeah, sounds good. Awesome. Um, so to answer your question, Austin... Um, about what makes you think Cousins should be mentioned in MVP race over uh, Michael Thomas and uh, CMC. Um, well, for one thing, like I said, I'm just saying what I've heard a couple people say. Um, not necessarily my word specifically that he's in the running. Um, although it's hard to argue with what he's uh, putting up stats-wise. Um, also Michael Thomas obviously is a fantastic player, but there's only been 18 non-quarterbacks in NFL history to win the MVP. One of them was a place kicker back in 1982 during a strike shortened season. Um, and then two of them were defensive players, Lawrence Taylor and Alan Page of the Purple People Eaters. Um, and then the rest have been running backs that weren't quarterbacks. So just based on history, no matter how good a receiver is, it doesn't look like they win them. That's why, and again, I'm just going by what other people have said. You know, if it was up to me, I'd say both Delvin and Cook, or Delvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey both deserve to be in the running as well. But again, history would say that Almost always these days, it's a quarterback that wins it. So that's why I'm saying, you know, it'll probably be a quarterback. If I had to guess now, it would probably be Lamar Jackson or Russell Wilson. Um, but again, uh, Cousins is having a fantastic year, and it's hard to argue with that. What's the quarterback rating he has and his touchdown to interception ratio. So hopefully that answers your question, Austin. All right, back to you, Scott. So... Uh, you were at the Viking Bronco game Sunday. Uh, what was it like being there in person? Yeah, it was great, man. It was uh, my first Vikings experience up there at US Bank Stadium. 
and uh, I go every, whatever it is, four or six years that the Broncos schedule lands them here. I think they play each other every four years, and maybe they're here every eight, something like that. But it was great. It was a fun experience, awesome game. You know, I'm um, disappointed as a Broncos fan that the collapse was so bad, but the Vikings really kicked it up there in the second half and made it. I mean, what else can you ask for it coming down to the very last play of the game? So Right. Fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, the funny thing about the last play is the first time I saw it, I obviously saw the push-off by the Bronco receiver. What I didn't see, though, is even after he got pushed off, Curse grabbed his jersey a little bit. Granted, he had just been pushed off and he was recovering. So the funny thing is now that I've seen him more than once, you could make an argument that really they could have called the pass interference on both guys, but I also like that they let him play on the last play of the game, so. Yeah, it was fine. At that point, I didn't really care a whole lot about the outcome because, you know, from a Broncos standpoint, this season is done. We're right. In, we're in rebuilding mode, and the Vikings, that would have been a pretty bad loss, but they had also come all the way back, so it wouldn't have been so uh, demoralizing. Um, you know, at that point, I was just, I was pulling for the my Broncos on the very last play of the game. But, I'm you know, if we're going to lose to anybody, I'm happy it was the Vikings because I'm also a Vikings fan. And, um, yeah, it, just excitement. I mean, everything you could ask for that, in that game um, was, was there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, just curious, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the guy who's, Obviously started the last couple weeks for the Broncos at quarterback. Uh, Brandon Allen, former sixth-round pick out of Arkansas. Just curious what your thoughts on him are um, and what you've seen out of him. Arkansas being my second favorite team, you know, I've followed him ever since he was in college. And personally, I'm glad he's finally getting a chance to start a couple games and see what he can do. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are of him. Yeah, and I, I want to talk to you about the Vikings, too, because um, as a, a Vikings fan, I have I have thoughts on the pro and, and con side after the Bronco game, too. But as a Bronco fan, you know, this is a – Allen's actually a pretty important quarterback for the Broncos, as we're constituted right now, because there's a quiet, not so quiet anymore rumbling for Elway to – you know, uh, improve his track record when it comes to picking these quarterbacks, ironically enough, uh, running the Broncos there. His his quarterback success since, you know, taking over the front office for the Broncos has not been uh, good at all, aside from Peyton Manning, which is a, a major accomplishment to get him to come to Denver, if you think all the way back to when that, that Manning free agency situation was happening. And, Right. Um, there's a, a question of should any team take Manning at that point because he was so old and coming off of not playing so long. And then among a few teams, who can get him? And LA pulled that off, and what really paid off, obviously, was the Super Bowl out of it. So aside from that, which is not to, you know, I don't want to push that aside and say that's no big deal because it was. Super Bowl's a Super Bowl. But uh, ironically, John Elway's not been great at picking quarterbacks either for the franchise from free agency or for, from the draft. So, you know, his time's limited in that seat anyway. He's been there a, a while and that's a position that turns over pretty often, but 
Um, that's a big quarterback for Owen. It's kind of people in Denver, I'm not sure if this is accurate or not, but people view him, Allen, as the last hope of the Broncos or Flacco. But to be honest with you, by the time Flacco got hurt, Denver fans had pretty much written him off for the season. Sure. And that Kansas City game, I, I can't tell you how demoralizing that Kansas City game was to Bronco fans. That was that was uh, arguably the worst Bronco football game I've ever seen, just from a standpoint of how they played and how right. Flacco looked. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. Allen looked fine. He, he had a couple of good throws. He had a couple of bad throws. He had a couple of missed reads. He had some great throws, some great reads. Yeah. Um, you know, what you'd expect from a guy that started two NFL games now. So right. I'm not reading too much into it. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's the future of the franchise at this point, based on what I'm seeing. I'm not sure if he has that X factor, but he, he made a couple of good good balls. Yeah, and I know he was a six-down pick, but honestly, from the little bit I've seen and also seeing him at Arkansas, you know, I could, I agree with you. He might not, at least at this point, be a franchise quarterback by any means, but I could actually see him have a, I could actually see him having a fairly long career as a backup kind of like Case Keenum has you know with the exception of the one awesome year with Minnesota you know where but other than that he's really been a journeyman backup but I could see Allen potentially doing something similar where he's in the league quite a while but uh as more of a backup and then you know as a decent starter when you need him to be not necessarily great but you know can keep you in some games probably at least so yeah i think it's way too way too early i mean um draft correlation to quarterbacks has always been tricky but even today i mean look at carson wentz who's just a, he's a great quarterback but he's not a good quarterback if that makes any sense like he's capable of these amazing throws these amazing moments and yet some of the easiest plays he seems to miss like right. he's a frustrating quarterback that way and obviously he went number one overall so um, it's tough to tell. And people have to remember, too, like uh, Elway is a great example of someone who was not very good. He was always good. Like at Stanford, he was good. But he was not as polished as he would be in the first couple of years as a Bronco. Right. Um, so I'm not saying this guy's Elway, but it's way too, way too soon to tell. That was just interesting. The Broncos are in a tough spot. We're, we're a bad team right now, which is too bad because we're wasting – salary money on Von Miller, who's arguably the best player in the history of the Broncos organization, one of the best players to ever play defensive line. And, you know, you got Chris Harris under contract, and there was some there's some good talent that's just kind of withering away as the Broncos have been getting their act together for the last six or eight years since the Super Bowl. But anyway, um, to the Vikings side of things too, yep. obviously a great a great comeback, but you know, I'm I'm concerned as all Vikings were by that first first half. I mean, that was uh, and, and more so just you know you get some bad calls and there was some bad there was some bad officiating in that first half especially, and you get some bad bounces, um, turnovers, whatnot, special teams. You turn the ball over inside your own red zone. I think twice in the first half. How often is that going to happen? Right. But they got to fix that pass defense. Here's my I guess my only point. And it's not the Broncos. It's the last couple of weeks. You know, if Aaron Rodgers is playing that game, the Vikings get blown out of their own building. They, I don't know what's going on with Xavier Rhodes, but he is just as flat as Nebraska right now. So 
Um, that, that's a big problem. That's a big, I mean, down the stretch, this is a Vikings team I have big expectations from. They're the best team in the division. They should make the NFC Championship game, but they're not going to if they can't stop the pass against you know a rookie quarterback playing in his second game. You should be picking them off four times. So that was throughout the game. That was a problem, I think, actually, for the uh, Vikings. Got better in the second half, but Xavier Rhodes was. I'm, I'm not sure what was going on with him the last couple of weeks, too. Well, actually, to be honest, Scott, as a Viking fan, I've been seeing us from Rhodes for a year plus now, where he's. It seems like he's going downhill farther and farther. So, honestly, in my opinion. And Trey Waynes himself has given up a few plays this year, but for the last year and a half, if not almost two full years, in my opinion, Trey Waynes has been the better cornerback. So I've already seen this from Rhodes for a while now, personally, not just a week or a couple weeks uh, from my perspective. And, um, you know, the one play... Uh, I don't know if it, part of it's he doesn't have the recovery speed he used to because he used to be, you know, a fairly fast corner for his size. Or if part of it's he doesn't track the ball as well as he used to or what all it is. But like that deep ball, I mean, he, you can't have much better coverage, but he really made no play on it whatsoever, you know, and they dropped it right in there despite him being right with the guy. But... Again, I don't know if part of it's the recovery speed slash tracking the ball or what it is that he wasn't able to make a play on it. Um, so, And that's the frustrating part is sometimes even when he's right there in coverage, he just doesn't make the plays that he used to at times. So, Well, and even beyond one guy or, or one game, um, Especially recently, the Vikings' run defense is phenomenal. Look what they did to Zeke against Cowboys. Uh, Philip Lindsay's no slouch. I mean, he's a small guy, but they, they contain him pretty well. But the problem is, the run game isn't the center of the NFL like it used to be. I mean, the best running backs. Look at Green Bay. Green Bay has two running backs who are as threatening out of the backfield in, in the pass game as they are out of the backfield in the run game. And they just very simply... The Packers alternate these guys on series. There's a two running back setup, and they're equally, you know, interchangeable in the run game and in the the pass game. And they can, they're both phenomenal receivers. So it doesn't matter so much that you can stop the run. Like the Vikings, when they want to lock down on the run game, they can do it. But then, what happens when you have some great quarterbacks who you're going to play in the playoffs right. and throw the ball against you? Right, well, and the thing that impressed me, especially about the Dallas Cowboy game, is they did that one without Linval Joseph. And I was worried going in without him playing, but, you know, with Jaleel Johnson and uh, Steven Weatherly and the other guys they had playing, I mean, they definitely stepped up. And obviously the game plan was to slow down Zeke, and it worked. You know, they gave up some passing yards, but they did enough to win the game. And it was pretty obvious that was their game plan was focused around him, especially with Linval out and hats off to him. You know, they slowed him down uh, extremely well. Um, so, you know, and that there was their game plan. They stuck with it and it paid off. Um, so that one, though, like I said, really impressed me, especially with Linval Joseph being out. That was one game I was really impressed with as far as the run defense goes. But, yeah, I mean, like you 
Oh. The Cowboy game was great. I mean, that was that was probably their best one of the year so far. Um, but the pass defense, even in that game, you look at Dak when he decided to throw the ball on the last series. All of a sudden, for some reason, the Cowboys decided to throw, and they made it a game there at the very end. Because, you know, I do have concerns about the about the Viking pass defense. I guess that's. I don't want to make too big a deal out of it, but it's been suspect over the last couple of weeks. And I believe me, I know. As much as it hurts, how bad the Broncos are right now, and they are not in a good—they're just not in a good spot. You know, they're still finding themselves, and there are a couple of good moments. Right. But the Vikings are on a whole different level. They're a superior football team, and they have much different uh, abilities for the rest of the season. And you know, it's going to come down to one or two games: that the Packer game at the end of the year, and then the and then the postseason. But hopefully, whatever's going on with that pass defense, it seems very susceptible right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you, with the exception of one thing. It seems like they, no matter how many yards they've given up, and I've seen this in the past from Zimmer defenses as well, they still have a very good red zone defense. I will give them that. You know, it proved again against Denver, thanks to J. Ron Kursk, because they threw his way a bunch of times. But anyway, I mean, they've continued to, they can usually stop people in the red zone and make it tough on teams. So even though they give up way too many yards sometimes, at least they have a tendency to tighten down in the red zone. But as far as an overall game point of view, yeah, they definitely need to work some things out. And hopefully they can work some things out, especially in the bye, because then you go to Seattle out of the bye, of course, and have another big-time primetime game this one on monday night for cousins to try to prove something um in another primetime game so the opportunity will be there and obviously against seattle you can't get down 20-0 and expect to come back and win so they're gonna have to come out a lot stronger and after a bye week you'd like to think that they'll be prepared uh but we'll see what happens yeah we'll see what green bay does too because they're going to be coming off thereby week in this next week while the Vikings are off, I believe. Yep, and they played the 49ers. Yeah, so a couple of big tests coming up for both those teams, obviously. Absolutely. You know, obviously in a best-case scenario, the Niners beat them and the Vikings find a way to win on the road in Seattle, but um, I'm not saying I expect that to happen. I'm obviously just saying as a Viking fan, obviously that would be best-case scenario. Yeah, I think at this point you kind of play for the wild card because you can't control what the, the Packers do, so you win as many games as you can. Yep. And obviously it's all going to come down to that, that last meeting between the two teams, which is maybe as it should be. <laughs> um, I mean, that's where I worry about it. By no means I don't want to be overly critical on the Vikings' defense because they are a good defense. They're a top 15 easily defense, if not top 10 at, at times. But even Allen was able to you know, move the ball down the field in crunch time. Just imagine what an elite NFL quarterback who's right. not playing in his second game is going to is going to do. So there, I mean, that's it's the concern that you know, as a Vikings fan, you can see it coming from down the road. You know, yeah, I, I hate that, but you know, at least better now than then. So maybe they can address it. Right. Did you, uh, well, actually, I know you were calling, I was going to ask about the Gopher-Iowa game, and then I remembered, of course, to make a full weekend of it, you were calling uh, your first 
uh, state football game from U.S. Bank Stadium. So you had a full weekend up there. So uh, just really briefly, how was that experience and how did Blooming Prairie turn out? It was good. Um, yeah, we'll see on Friday. It's a week from Friday, actually. Black Friday is going to be the the prep bowl. Um, it's the first day. And early, early game for Blooming Prairie because they're in Class A. It's going to be a hell of a matchup. Um, I won't go too far into it because very few people listening probably care. Um, but Blooming has one of the best secondaries in Class A. And we have a chance to see bowls. Uh, that's the team they're going to play in the prep bowl. Their, their, their game was right before Bloomings, and so we got to see – and they're, they're a great pass team. Okay. Um, quarterbacks thrown it all over the field, so it's a great matchup between a, a good pass offense and a uh, secondary. It will be televised, I know, at uh, different parts of the state, and so it might be worth checking out on that Black Friday morning. Um, we'll see. I have a hunch Blooming will find a way. They're just so phenomenally uh, coached. But uh, getting back to last week, I did – call that game but i did have a chance to see bits and pieces of the iowa game so if there's anything specific you wanted to talk about i can't talk with authority about the entire game but i did see more of it than i saw the the penn state game for example okay yeah good to know um you know one thing and i i want to say you and i even talked about this briefly but maybe i'm imagining that and you can correct me if that's the case um, one thing that continues to bug me on Fleck, and again, as most people know, listening, I am a huge Fleck fan, and I'm absolutely rowing the boat. But one thing, just like I had one criticism of Zimmer, you know, I'm doing this objectively, so hopefully some people appreciate that. I have positives and uh, some once in a while criticisms, just like uh, anybody doing what I'm doing on a pad- podcast, I think it makes it that much better, in my opinion, is when you can have a somewhat objective view, not completely all roses or whatever you want to say. Anyway, what continues to bug me on Fleck is his timeout management. <laughs> um, that first half usually doesn't matter as much. I know he doesn't like bringing any timeouts into halftime. And normally it doesn't matter as much, but still the fact that he use, always uses all three before halftime, sometimes even all of them in the first quarter, um, and then sometimes second half too, he uses them way too early, and that continues to be one thing that bugs me about him, is as good of a coach as he is, and how much he gets his guys prepared, I still don't get why he manages the timeouts like he does. So I don't know if you have any comments on that in particular before we talk a little bit about the game. But So I know this about PJ. He's a coach, and I think this is a good philosophy to have in general at any level of football, but especially, especially, especially high school, but even college. He wants to put his – he sees his job as putting his team in a position to win, the best position to win. And there's a role from the sideline that he plays in that. And I think in game management, I think, I think that's a good, that's a good uh, overall arching philosophy. But it can be short-sighted at times because in the first half, as you mentioned, you can afford to do that. But let's say in the third quarter, 
I mean, there's going to be stuff that goes wrong all game. You're going to get a personal package wrong. You're going to have a look that you don't like on the offense. The quarterback is going to misinterpret the play call coming in from the sideline. That happens throughout the game. And if you call a timeout every single time something like that happens, on the one hand, yes, technically you are giving your chance the best opportunity to succeed in that drive on that play. But at what point do you start sacrificing the opportunity to win the game at, at the end of the game, which is, I think, what you're saying. So right. um, it's tricky. I mean, game management is is much easier done in your lazy boy than it is on the sideline, granted. Um, and if the Gophers win that game, you know, fair point, no one cares about the timeouts that are taken or, or when they're taken in that particular game. But I like his overarching philosophy. As I've told you before, and, and I, too, am a P.J. fan, but this guy is not a Big Ten coach. He's not a big-time Big Ten coach yet. He's on his way, it looks like, but this he is not – he is as – you can't tell from looking at him. He's got the swagger, but he's still learning. Yeah. He's got quite a bit of the curve left to go. So, And that's fine. That's all part of it. But, um, yeah, I, I – you know, if – it all comes down to the bounce of the ball, I guess, because if you use all, all your timeouts early and it pays off on that particular drive where you're saving the drive, then fine, and you win the game because of that. Sometimes you're going to need two timeouts inside of two minutes at the end of the game, too, and if you don't have them, you don't have them. Right. Yeah, I am excited. They, you know, Northwestern obviously is a team you better beat. Um, I know it's on the road, and I know that their coach, uh, Fitzgerald, uh one thing he does well, and I've always been impressed with this about him, is even the years they haven't had as good of teams, it's, he seems like they always compete. Um, so that is one thing. I mean, I expect it not to be an easy win, even though Northwestern only has two wins. And obviously, like any good team, you can't look past you know their record and just assume you're going to cakewalk over them. Because they're, um, anyway, she, um, so, sorry, I'm getting my daughter right now, so she's going to be part of this. Ah. Are you good then if I get one? She just needs to sleep, that's the biggest thing. Um, so anyway, um, sorry. Where was I again? I got distracted there just for a second. That's right. You can ask your daughter for a prediction. <laughs> oh, the, it was the Northwestern game. That's right. Um, so anyway, you know, I don't expect it to be easy per se. You know, am I saying that they can't still win by double digits potentially? No, I'm not saying that because they could. Um, I'm just saying that. Uh, don't take them lightly, obviously, like any good should or any good team shunt. And, um, you know, just know that they're going to give you their best because it seems like they always compete uh, even years they aren't very good. So just be prepared to, you know, battle at least for a while. Um, you know, Northwestern's obviously going to try to stay in it, um, you know, because it seems like if you can stay in a game, you necess not necessarily should. Uh, that when you stay in a game, it seems like sometimes they get extra confidence. And when you let teams hang around, you know, that's sometimes when you get in trouble. 
you know, obviously Minnesota stayed in the game with Penn State and then eventually won, you know, just as an example. Um, so, you know, I'm sure part of their goal was obviously to stay in it and then see what happens, and they did that. So hopefully, you know, you find a time where you can put Northwestern away, but um, it's another prime, or not prime time, sorry. It's another national TV game uh, on ABC they get the 11 o'clock time slot. So, you know, there should be another decent size audience, hopefully with uh, it being national TV. So um, hopefully you come out get a win and then, you know, go back to planning for um, a winner take the Big Ten West against Wisconsin. You know, obviously the winner gets the ax, but the winner will also get the Big Ten West unless somehow Wisconsin lays an egg against Purdue and we win, which I don't expect. So almost assuredly, you know, that game will determine the Big Ten West. So, Yeah, and I'll be going to that, that game too. I'm already locked in to go. Got to go see that game because it does look like that's the way it's shaping up. So I can I can give you a report from the Wisconsin game too. Oh, that'll be that's awesome. Good. Yeah, that's one game. Me and my one of my uncles, we go to at least one game every year. And uh, this year we went to the Maryland game. <laughs> Um, I would have loved to go to the Wisconsin game, but we have a wedding that day to go to. Um, and then the Penn State one, obviously, I would have loved to be there too, but with a big deer hunting, I wasn't going to go to the actual game, you know, even though I still watched it. There was one year that I went uh, to a gopher game on deer hunting opener. Granted, it was a great game to be at because it's the game they beat Iowa by... 30 plus points and Max and Max Williams had three touchdowns and I had 50 yard line seats literally so it was an amazing game to be at but my uncle yeah something like that but my uncle who I hunt with gave me crap afterwards because it was deer opener and he shot an eight-point buck where I'd normally be sitting opening morning. So, as fun as as much fun as I had, I've never since, and probably never will again, go to a gopher game as much as I love them over a deer hunting opening morning. <laughs> well, let me let me uh, weigh in on the Northwestern win because I and I saw you post something along these lines too, and I had the same thought. So I'm going to make the argument that it doesn't matter what the score is this weekend so long as the Gophers win right? From a, from a national perspective. And the reason I say that is because they could win by a point or they could win by 30, and they, they're still not going to get national respect. I mean, at this point, that's pretty clear. They were, as an undefeated Big Ten team, and I, I was the first in line to talk about their soft schedule going into the Penn State game, granted, but as an undefeated Big, Big Ten team, they were 17th. You know, ranked in the country, um, district lowest ranked by far of the undefeated teams in the majors or, or at all. I think. Anyway, they're not getting respect there. They win with the Penn State game, and they get the mandatory. You have to put them in the top ten at that point. But as soon as they lost to Iowa, I was personally shocked. Uh, I, I mean, maybe that's a bit of a strong word, but not much. I was very, very surprised by the reaction that the national, say, the ESPN media was giving to the Gopher loss as though, of course, 
it was a flash in the pan. It was a one-hit wonder. Now, Penn State is a phenomenal team, but it's like nobody appreciated how good Iowa was. If you look at Iowa's losses, they were, they're on, I think they're all on the road. One's at Wisconsin. Was I'd have to go look, but they're against very, very good teams. And Iowa's one of the best coached teams in the Big Ten just because of the program they have and the, the tenure of the coach. Who's, he's been there forever. I was stunned at the lack of respect nationally at, at a relatively close game. Minnesota didn't show up like they showed up at home against Penn State. But Kinnick Stadium is, is one of the hardest places to play in the country. It's a very good football team. I was very surprised by the lack of respect. So anyway, my point is not to whine about that. My point is, you're Rodney Dangerfield at this point, basically. It doesn't matter what you do against Northwestern. In order to get anyone's attention, you're going to have to beat Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. That's it. And and even then, if you remember a couple of years ago, four or five years ago, when Ohio State won the national championship, if you remember how they snuck into the playoff system and no one thought they should be there, and then all of a sudden they managed to win the two games. If the Gophers end up doing that somehow, that's how it's going to be. I'm not predicting that. I'm saying the the Gophers are not – you're not getting any national respect. And maybe it's not earned yet because it's the first really great season we've had in a long time, almost a generation. But it took me back. And maybe it's because I've been watching the team the whole year. I, mean, I know they're not that bad. I'm not saying they're Ohio State, but just, you know, at this point, if you're a Gopher fan, I'd say put your blinders on and don't expect any love. I think game day is going to show up for the Wisconsin game, maybe. But even so, don't expect any love for for the, the Gophers from the national media because it's just not going to happen this well, year. Well, I agree, and I think what you were referring to, I believe, as far as my post is – it was especially the announcers that I took exception to. Only because they... And I get it to a degree, but at the same time, I don't just because of where the Gophers have come from. They made it seem like literally the Gophers' entire season was over. Which, they could still be in the Big Ten Championship. Obviously, you know, not pe many people would give you a chance against Ohio State. If that's who we end up playing. And if we get there, you know, because we still have to take care of business against Wisconsin. And even if we don't go to the playoffs or win the Big Ten Championship, you're still more than likely in the Rose Bowl if you win the Big Ten West. So to act like our whole season is over is just, that's what irritated me a little bit. That That's all they could talk about was that it was like our whole season was over, which to me was not the case at all, especially was you know, how much uh, Fleck has built this program. Now, as far as um, the rest of the national attention goes, I mean, in the college football poll, they only dropped a couple spots. So in that aspect, they're still getting some love in a sense that they're still in the top 10. Uh, I believe they're actually number 10 now. Um, so they gave them some love there. Uh, but as far as like ESPN and any of the national media outside of the college football poll, like you said, I don't think we can really expect it unless unless we go on and win the Big Ten Championship. Yeah, you're going to have to force it. And it, it may not happen this year. Like, we have to be happy with the fact if we show up in the Rose Bowl, we have to remember 
But even if that results as a result of even one more loss yet to come, we have to be okay with that. Like, go for fans have to. If you think back to when we started the season, to think that we were going to be in the freaking Rose Bowl would be, you know, uh, unimaginable. Um, national respect is going to take two or three more years after that. Is the lesson I learned this year. You know, and I'm surprised because I've seen flash in the pans in years past. I've seen Boise State. 15 years ago come out of nowhere and get national respect. For some reason, the Gophers aren't going to get that uh, this year, unless they happen to run the table. If they beat Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship, then there's no choice right. to give them national respect. But as I mentioned, even Ohio State a couple of years ago, the world was freaking out because they were in there, and they had to win the national championship before anyone would acknowledge that they belonged in the playoff uh, to begin with. So, I don't know. Yeah, just enjoy the ride. I guess is is the message to to go for fans. Just don't for the for for crying out loud, don't lose to Northwestern. Right. And then, but you're right; they have to show up. And then uh, that that Wisconsin game. And how fun is that to have that game be so meaningful at the end of the year? We just got to enjoy that and not worry about the daily, you know. Uh, sports talk and not worry about the national media not worry about anything just enjoy the fact that just like the twins baseball meant something so late in the season you just have to enjoy that football means something college football means something at this point in you know thanksgiving right yeah and i'm uh gonna let you go here pretty quick i think scott my daughter it's yeah, about her nap time and i, I sometimes and sometime tonight i still have a couple more uh, people to talk to on the podcast. So overall, this episode is going to be particularly long, but it'll be a fun episode because I got my first questions um, on this one already. And then um, for the first time, I'm going to have uh, more than just my brother who picks games with us and then you. Um, I'm having multiple people on this particular episode, so it'll be longer, but the overall episode should be a good one. So. Well, good, good man. Keep it going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anytime. Let's for sure hook up after that Wisconsin game because I'll I'll be up there. We'll do that. Uh, thanks again, Scott. Awesome. Thanks. Yep. Thank you. All right, so I'm going to stop the Facebook Live part here. Um, later on, um, I will be finishing the overall episode with our pick segment with Noah, my brother, as well as Colton Moss. Um, well, Colton Facebooks me his picks, and then Noah comes on live with me. So later on, I'll be doing the picks, um, and then I believe I'll be talking to my sister as well on the phone to talk about the Viking game. And then if anybody else has any questions or comments uh, later, um, I probably will Facebook that part as well. Uh, so anyway, uh, thanks all for listening, and God bless. Welcome back to Digs and Distance NFL Pick segment. Um, I'll recap the scores next week. I don't have my tablet in front of me at the moment, um, as I'm doing this one at the farm. Um, so I'll recap the scores next week. Um, anyway, we have the Seattle Seahawks at the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia's favored by one and a half at home. Which surprises me a little bit. Um, anyway, 
We'll start off with uh, Colton's pick. Um, he is taking the Seahawks by three or more. So that means if Seattle wins by at least three, he gets double the points. Um, I'm also, I think it's crazy Philly's favorite, even there, though they're at home. I'm going to go with Seattle to win by at least one. And let's see what Noah thinks of this one. Yeah, I'm gonna go with you, Eli. Um, I'm, I'm gonna go with uh, I forget the name of their quarterback, but I think they're gonna uh, crush the Eagles. I'm gonna say Seahawks going with the underdog. I guess Seahawks are gonna win by at least one. Okay, sounds good. And next we got the. 49ers favored by three at home against the Green Bay Packers. Um, in this one, I'm going to go with the 49ers to cover. I think the 49ers will win. I think it'll be a good game. Um, in this one, Colton, he's going with the Packers to cover. So he's not risking double the points, but he's saying that if the Packers lose, it'll be by less than three. But if they win, he still gets the point. So, Noah, what's your thoughts on this one? I'm also going to um, follow what Colton said. Um, and I'm going to pick the same thing he did. I'm going to pick uh, Packers cover. Um, you know, at first I thought 49ers are going to win. But I'll just say, you know what, hopefully they don't win by more than three. All right. Then to round it out this week, we have the Patriots favored on the road by six and a half in Dallas. I'm going to go with the Patriots to cover. Colton also has the Patriots covering. Noah, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, I'm going to go with Dallas to cover. Um, I think if they do lose, they'll keep it under six, uh, well, seven points. Because as long as they get beat by less than seven, they'll cover. Okay, so Noah thinks they'll be close. And Colton and I are going with the Patriots to cover. Um, like I said, I'll recap scores next time. Um, I believe I am two back of Colton right now. I got two out of three last week. I know that. Um, but I'll get the exact scores next week. So anyway, thanks again for listening. Um, I think my sister Greta will be on a different episode um, instead, but between Scott Fuller and my brother-in-law Andrew and the pick segment, we had a nice long episode today, and uh, I still think it was a good and fun episode. So anyway, I'll uh, get more people on in the future, and I'm glad that we got a couple questions today anyway. Uh, between Austin uh, Johnson submitting a question on Facebook and then Allie submitting one also on Facebook before the podcast ever started. So thank you guys for your questions. Keep more coming in the future. And thanks to anybody who listened. Have a good night and God bless.